Well, good evening, everybody. Sure is good to have the opportunity to visit with you all and speak to you again this evening. Hope it's of some benefit to you as we look at a lesson from God's Word for just a few minutes. We're going to read a few verses in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. If you'd like to, to open there with me, Ezekiel, chapter 37, and verses 1 through 3 to start where the prophet writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel has this vision, this experience that he is standing in this valley and it is surrounded with bones, human bones, just far as the eye can see. And God asked him this question, son of man, can these bones live? You know, they're, just, they're dead, they're dry, just laying there, scattered about, no order to them. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, well, oh Lord God, you know, God is the only one who would have the answer to that. And as we go ahead in verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. You know, wow, just kind of the, the magnitude of, of this kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of a scary image, kind of, kind of creepy maybe, kind of Halloween-ish in our, in our head that, that all these human bones are laying there and then all of a sudden they start coming together and there's this rattling sound as they join to one another and, and, and muscles and tendons and the skin just grows on them and, and they're just laying there still dead bodies but now complete and, and God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to them and then the breath comes in and they stand up and and Ezekiel says it's a great army, it's a large number of people. Well, what, why? Why is God telling, showing Ezekiel this? Why is Ezekiel having this vision? What's the meaning of what God is trying to tell him? Well, God tells us. Fortunately, if we just keep reading in verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and so will I do it, declares the Lord. God tells us. This is about Israel. This is about the nation of Israel. Israel is dead. The, the nation of Israel has been destroyed, essentially. You go through your Old Testament history, and you go to the end of Second Chronicles, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Babylonian armies, they come in, and, and they lay waste to the land of Israel. They take over. They besiege the city of Jerusalem, and, and eventually they break the walls down around Jerusalem. They come in. They ransack the temple, take all the gold and silver back to Babylon. They burn the temple of God, and, and I'm sure many of the Israelites died in that, and the ones that survived, they're, they're taken off into captivity slaves, the 70-year Babylonian captivity. And Ezekiel is, is writing his book of prophecy in the middle of the Babylonian captivity. And, and the Israelites are, are, are there saying, you know, we're, we're dead. Our, our nation is gone. It, it's been destroyed. Our, our language, our culture, our history, our, our worship of God uh, you know, does God even care about us anymore? We, we just don't have any hope. It, it's all lost. It's all dried up, just like these bones laying there dry on the ground. And yet God is telling Israel that he can bring the dead back to life. Israel can still have a future. She, she looks dead, but God can breathe life into the dead and God can cause the dry bones to come together and, and to arise and to stand into a great army once again. All hope is not lost. That, that is you know, Ezekiel's message to Israel here. We think about these dead dry bones and, and I got to thinking, I asked myself the question, well, how, how do things die? Be it, be it a tree in the yard or be it us human beings you know how how does death come about well sometimes it comes quickly sometimes we're in a car accident sometimes we have a heart attack or an aneurysm or something and and, and maybe we're alive one minute and we're dead the next but oftentimes death comes gradually comes gradually over time. You don't go to bed at night and there's a big, tall, prosperous tree in your yard and you get up the next morning and it's dead. No, it, it happens slowly. You know, some of, some of the branches die and it gets a disease and you gotta watch a progression through it. And, and oftentimes with us, you know, somebody will pass away and we'll say, well, I didn't know they were sick. And oh, oh yeah, they've been sick for a long time. This has been a long time coming. And so it is with Israel. God didn't just all of a sudden one day decide, well, I think I'm going to destroy Israel. 
Oh, Israel brought this on herself over a long period of time. Just one verse to kind of summarize that in Jeremiah chapter 8 and in verse 19, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? Idol worship went way back in Israel. Solomon introduced it centuries before when he uh, married all the foreign wives and amassed all his wives and concubines and, and many of them brought their pagan religions into Israel with them. And you go down through the period of the divided kingdom and, and you know they, they, they would worship these other gods and goddesses and then every once in a while a righteous king would come to power and he'd try to purge all that stuff out of the land again and then he'd pass away and his son would rule and well, they, they'd just bring it all back. And God sent prophets to warn them and, and, and demand repentance of them. And they ignored them. And sometimes they treated them very violently. And Israel had just become kind of comfortable uh, with, with kind of giving a half-hearted service to God and, and, and with their prosperity. In Amos 4 and verse 1, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. God there calls Israel a bunch of fat cows, just laying around eating and drinking. And that's all they're, all they're worried about. And, and God warned Israel about this way back before Moses brought them to the to land of promise and Joshua brought them in. Go back to, the, to Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and, and God is, is warning Israel there. Now when you go into the land, you get settled, you get your farms, you build your nice houses to live in, don't forget about me, don't forget about the Lord. Well, Israel had forgot about the Lord. And so this has been a long time coming. In Hosea chapter 4, uh, you know, another image there in verse 16 that, that God says to Hosea, you're, you're like a stubborn heifer. Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? You're, you're just stubborn like an old cow, Israel. You won't listen to me. I, I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to save you. And you have no interest. And eventually, God is true to his word. And he allows them to be taken over by their enemies to the east. And they become enslaved to the Babylonians. And, you know, for all effective purposes, Israel looks dead. Well, nations can die. Churches can die. Can't they? Because Jesus writing to the seven churches of Asia... In Revelation chapter 3, uh, he, you know, he comments about Sardis over there. Revelation 3.1, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. 
Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says to Sardis, you are a dead church. You, you still have a... You have a name, you have a reputation. People know that there's a group of professed believers over there doing something. But, but you're dead. You have no life. You have no energy. You have no desire to serve me. And, and what's Jesus' advice to them? What, what does he tell them to do? Does he tell them, well, you might as well just quit and go home. Just give up. You're beyond saving. Well, no, he doesn't tell them that. He demands that they wake up. He demands that they strengthen what remains and is ready to die. He tells them to remember what you have heard. Keep it and repent. Churches can die, but God can breathe life back into the dead body, back into the dead bones. If, if, if we'll help. If we'll respond. And churches, what are they made of? Well, they're, they're made of individuals. They're composed of individual people, of you and me. And we can be dead also. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 13 through 17. Paul writes over there, uh, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time, because the days are evil. Wake up! Wake up from your sleep. Arise from the dead, Paul says to the Ephesian Christians. We, we get complacent with life. We get lackadaisical in our service to God. And Paul says we need to wake up sometimes. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is writing to Timothy about caring for widows. And, and he um, gives criteria for those that have reached a certain age and have done certain works of, of service and good deeds that they can be taken in, that they can be supported by the congregation. But in verse 6, he says, But she who is self-indulgent, though the one who lives for, for worldly pleasures, she is dead even while she lives. We can be living in that we're breathing, our heart is beating, our brains are working, our, our bodies are moving about, and yet we can be dead in that we're separated from God in that we're, we're lost in our sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 30, well, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, and they've got abuses in how they're treating the Lord's Supper, and, and their worship, and they, they have corrupted the purpose of the Lord's Supper by just turn, turning it into a big feast, a big meal, basically. 
And in verse 30, Paul says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. King James Version says many are asleep, which is a euphemism for death. Some of you have just died inside. And in James chapter 2, in verse 14, of course, James writing about faith over there, he says that, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can, can faith save him? And, and he makes a couple of observations there in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And down in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. As a Christian, I can be dead. I, I can be dead in sin and immorality. I can be dead in not uh, putting zeal and, and emphasis into the worship and changing the nature of the worship. I can be dead because I, I have a faith that's not doing anything. But guess what? God can breathe life in. Prophesy to the bones, son of man. And bring the breath back into them. God, God is the master of life and death. Jesus, he's able to provide life, but he demonstrates that by physically providing life to Lazarus in John chapter 11. You know, Lazarus has been dead four days. He, he, his body's already started decomposing. He's in that tomb, and, and he tells them to roll the stone away from the door, and like, no, 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 you don't want to do that, Lord, no. It, it, there's a smell, there's a smell. And Jesus speaks the words, Lazarus, come forth. And, and here comes this, this dead guy, and he comes walking out of the tomb. And it's the most amazing thing that they have ever seen in their life. And, and, in, and in fact, that, that event seems to be the turning point in the life of Christ in that it infuriates, that is the thing that finally sets the Sanhedrin council against him, that they've got to put him to death and remove him somehow, because everyone has been so amazed by the fact that Jesus has raised the guy from the dead, and, and, and the fame and the notoriety of that. God can restore life. Now what does it take to restore life? What was required to, for Ezekiel to bring life back to the valley full of dead bones? Well, it, it was the word of God. Ezekiel was told to prophesy to the bones. Go, go speak to them. Speak the word of God to them. And that's going to bring life back to them. And, and we still have a responsibility to prophesy to those who are dead, spiritually speaking, you know, Christians are to be evangelistic people. The early church was evangelistic. It's not just the apostles that went out preaching and teaching. You've got the great persecution that arises in Acts chapter 8. And as these disciples are scattered out from Jerusalem into the countryside, now those who are scattered went about preaching the word. And then we go to follow Philip there in Acts chapter 8, but he's just one of many. As, as Christianity is an evangelical religion. We're, we're not supposed to be keeping it a secret and hiding it all inside. We're supposed to be telling others and speaking the word to them. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
Paul encourages Timothy there in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. King James Version says to meditate in these things, which, which is not just casual reading, but the idea of really turning things over in our head and thinking about the scriptures and, and you know, delving into them. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Devote ourselves to the Word of God. And we can wake ourselves up and bring ourselves back to life. Now if we go on down, down in the chapter in Ezekiel chapter 37, then we see what else God has to say to Israel in verses 26 and 27 and 28. He, he says, you know, the, the chapter really ends on kind of an, on an optimistic note. It says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. God, God says, I, I will make a, a covenant with them. I will put them back in their land. Uh, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. God has, has reached out here to his wayward children in, in kind of their darkest hour when, when they're off captive to another nation and they think everything is hopeless and he's given them hope. Through this vision of the dry bones, he's saying, hey, you, you can come back. We can have a relationship again. It can be like it was before. I can give you life. I, I can help you. Come, come back. Come to me. Because God doesn't want anyone to be lost. And of course, that, that's a universal message of the scriptures, that we can always come back. That God wants us to come back to him. Now we have to humble ourselves and conform ourselves to His Word and His way of living, yes. But we, we are blessed with the opportunity to come back. We are going to sing the invitation song that was selected. And if you're here this evening, and you need to take advantage of the gospel, of the forgiveness in Christ, of that, that, that opportunity that even though life looks dismal and hopeless because of my sins, God says, you can come back and you can be my child. And we can be at peace with one another by responding to the, the gospel's simple requirements. So if you're subject tonight, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.